Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Real Recovery. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Real Recovery, coming at you 24-7. You can listen to this show anytime you want. It is available live or on podcast or on demand. That's the beauty of Real Recovery. So you mean I can listen to it in the morning, the afternoon, and at night? Exactly, George. Doesn't matter what day it is. Doesn't matter. That's the nice thing about podcasting. And if you hear an episode of of something you really think a friend of yours or some family member would would benefit from, that's the beauty of podcasting is you can... uh, you can copy the link and text it to them, and they can listen to the program. And you will have been uh, doing something on behalf of trying to help that person. Might start a conversation to get things started. Might get them into some spiritual thinking. That's the whole the whole point. I love that. Yeah, it's really a good deal. George, we got a great show tonight. Jason is going to join us. J A S O N. He's going to come on the program, tell his story, which is going to be amazing. But before that, we always like to touch on a step. After we do some general banter. Yeah. Uh, yeah we can skip the banter part and just tonight, go right to the step. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Normally I do, yeah. and I didn't there. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity is step two. Can I pop in a scripture verse? Absolutely. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Okay, so what does that mean to our recovery? Let's look at that. I know for me, I had a lot of starts at sobriety. Maybe after three months, they'd stop. Mm -hmm. But I think the real process for me getting sober was when I got saved. When a minister came by that would come by after I got kicked out of school, high school, and Started that fire in the house. You know, they made a big deal out of that. It was, <laughs> a, bong, it was a bong fire, actually, <laughs> during Monday night football. But, you know, not to minimize it, it could have killed the whole family. And then I wouldn't be on the show. But what happened was he came by and said, if you died tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven or hell? It's like, well, that doesn't require a lot of thought. I'm going straight to hell. He goes, do you want to change that? Well, I had a relationship with this guy, Billy. He didn't just show up and ask me that. Mm -hmm. He really loved me when I didn't love myself. I didn't even like myself. And I said, sure. And we got the Bible out, John 3. And my life changed, but my behaviors didn't right then. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, it, it takes a while. What do I mean by this? My recovery process started, I think there are, because I knew when I was using drugs and drinking, I wasn't doing God's will. And I could do it for like three months, go sober, you know, before I got any legal consequences. But then one day it's it has stuck, but it was a process. It doesn't always happen right away that you get sober. But I think God lays that desire on your heart, Bill. So I would venture to say my recovery started way before I got sober, Mm -hmm. with consequences, God's intervention, the cops. But there was a desire there that I'm not doing what I should. And when you don't do what you feel God wants you to do, you're not going to have any peace, not any happiness. And that's coming to believe that a power greater than yourself, Jesus, 
can restore you to sanity. Sanity is living in the truth, believing the truth, and believing it enough to act on it. Mm-hmm. So you had come to faith in Christ, but you had not gotten on the other side of your addiction. So you were you were starting to learn about your life and your new identity in Christ, but you had not shed your old lifestyle yet. Right. I hadn't gotten on the other side of a lot of things. <laughs> uh, and it's an ongoing process. But I think the recovery process starts when the Holy Spirit convicts you and at the same time gives you the hope that this will happen and will be better. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while. And, and I think for people that we have on the show, they get arrested. They go to jail. They lose family members. And I think that's where the process starts. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree, George. Uh, you think of any time a person comes to faith in Christ, their life doesn't change the next day. For some, it changes a lot. But for other people, if you had a difficult uh, difficulty with your language, your language may not clear up for the first six months you're a Christian because of old habits. Or 10, 15 years in some cases, <laughs> well, uh, right? Yeah. <clears throat> you know... <clears throat> My asthma, I'm wheezing a little bit, but... Um, you have a cough button in the studio. You can hit that and cough. I don't think I... I could never <laughs> do that rub your head and your tummy at the same time thing, you know, like the monkey. Yeah. I think that's I think that's beyond me. But uh, what was I talking about? I don't about? really remember. I don't either. I wish I'd pay attention when you talk. Yeah. But anyway. Um, step two. That's really a good one. <laughs> do step two out there if you're listening. Yeah. It's a good one. Now, well, what, what happens to us is we can see it in the rearview mirror. But when we're going through it, we realize that we don't have peace when we walk outside of God's will. Right. And a lot of times people will go out drinking and they talk to their buddies about Jesus. I did that a couple times. Mm-hmm. And it was like, what are you doing? I didn't really know, but it was very interesting to me. And it took me a while to get sober and stay sober. I got one day at a time now. But looking back, I I came to believe by God convicting me and offering me hope. And and to me, what that step says is I become willing to do the next step because what I feel different, and that's turning your life forward to the care of God as you understand it. And we understand it to be Jesus. Mm -hmm. But he's got to get all of your life. You're drinking, you're gambling, your language. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was working at the Salvation Army, and we had some boys in from a 12-step group to give a meeting. I go, guys, it's a church. Well, you know one of the guys. And he started talking, and um, some foul language came out. Even though there's a guy wearing a Salvation Army uniform in the front row, which should have been a hint, and talked to the uh, administrator afterwards, and he said, you know, I bet when Jesus called Peter and his brother off the boat, their language wasn't that great either. This guy's heart's in the right place. Mm-hmm. Tell him to come back. Mm-hmm. I like that. I do too. All right, we've got a great show coming up for you tonight. And if you have just started listening to Real Recovery, we just want to, George and I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for coming to the program. And I hope you, you gain understanding, perspective, and hope. That's our goal, that you would come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and stop your addiction. So 
What are you, what are you smirking at me, George? I just wanted to say good morning, good evening, and good night. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll take a break. We'll come back. Our special guest, Jason, is with us right here in the studio, and we'll hear his story. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Real Recovery. Bill and George, Ryan, once again on the board. It's going to be a great uh, show, George. I've been looking forward to meeting our guest, Jason, and hearing his story. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Glad we're here today, <laughs> this morning. Yes, today. Tonight. I can't wait. I don't know. It's going to be great. What time it is, anyway? Well, <laughs> you? you cue up this Chicago song. Does anybody know what time it is? I think that's in the rotation, the bumper yeah. rotation. So it's going to be good. Yeah. I love making you laugh. <laughs> that is so good for me. That made my whole week. Ryan will probably quit. Yeah, he probably will. This will be the Ryan show next week. Ryan's yeah. real recovery. <laughs> All right, let's bring on our special guest. Jason, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. You bet. So we always want to hear a little bit about uh, every guest that comes on what their uh, childhood was like growing up, what your family life was like. Did you go to church? Did you have friends? Did you get along with your family? What was life like for you growing up? Um, life was, it was, I, I like to say that I kind of had the best of both worlds. Um, I grew up, I mean, I, it was not the best childhood. I grew up, uh, my parents divorced when I was about five, five years old. Um, my dad was actually a refugee from Liberia. Um, and then my mom's from Cadillac, Michigan, originally. So um, they divorced when I was young, about five. So I, for the most part, it was, um, it was very, it was very reckless. It was, there was a lot of abuse in, in my family when I was young as a child growing up. And um, so I think that, I guess, from my point of view, it was normal, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, but within the household, it was a split household, but it was, it was pretty, pretty reckless. So... When you say the word abuse, does that mean emotional, physical? I would say I would say all of it. Okay. I would say physical, emotional, verbal, and, okay. and all of that entailed. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And when you say reckless, um, what what does that mean? Well, I, I guess what I mean by reckless, there was no, there was no, uh, how do you put it, like rules. Okay. You know, growing up in a divorced home, you know, every other weekend seeing my dad and then staying with my mother, it was kind of a, you know, um, a no holds barred, so to mm-hmm. say. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't a sustainability of of uh, or expectation of, of children um, I had um, a brother and a sister as well and um, it was kind of um, it, I would say living with my mother it was good but you know a single mother doing the best she can to raise children um, wasn't always around you know because she did what she could to raise us and the best she could and she did a great job you know but that's just the reality of single parent home so it's harder harder to have eyes on the kids all yes. the time. Yeah, and for sure. That might feed into the recklessness a little. Most definitely. Yeah. And, yep. and no, obviously no disrespect to your mother or your dad. Oh, you know, of I'm course, just saying of course. It, that's the situation. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder, were you going to church? Yeah. So I grew up, I grew up going to um, a church and I also went to Christian school majority of my life as well. Um, so I definitely, but the household wasn't 
wasn't Christian at all, but it was definitely poured into us. It was definitely um, part of our family. Uh, as far as my mom goes, my dad was not saved, but uh, my mom was, and it was definitely part of our culture of, of growing up in a Christian home, so to say. But the home itself wasn't Christian, but the values and the morals were instilled instilled in us as kids for sure. So You know, it's always interesting, guys, because you hear it. And later mm-hmm. on, it talks about that in the Bible. You raise them up and they'll mm-hmm. you know, come around later. Even if you go away, and my guess is you did or you wouldn't be on our show. <laughs> for sure, yeah. I'm pretty sharp, <laughs> aren't I? But I think that yeah. would lay some seed for later on, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Huh? Yes, yes, 100%. Okay. Yep. So uh, were you involved in sports growing up? Uh, yeah, so I went to, I played basketball for a little bit. And going to Christian school, you know, they didn't, the, the schools that I went to, they didn't have, like, uh, physical contact. It was more just soccer and track and basketball. So um, from about, you know, junior high, high school, I played ball. Um, what was funny is I went to two different Christian schools. I got booted out of one uh, my freshman year, and then I went to another one and then played ball for them and then got booted out of that one and ended up, I, I would always go back and forth with my mom because most of my friends, you know, a lot of them, when I say best of both worlds, for example, I had a lot of uh, Christian school upbringing and those morals, but then I grew up in an area that was really rough. And um, so I had friends in best of both worlds, you know, and I, and I used to always want to go to public school um, to play ball or to even try football and all these things. But my mom, you know, would always say, there's no way you're already growing up in this rough area. There's no way you're going to go to a high school in this area. So eventually I forced my own hand by getting booted out of two Christian schools, and then um, I ended up graduating from a public school, um, but I never played ball. I think at that point is when when the rough stuff started happening, and even drug use started happening. So it's kind of hard growing up to be a Christian guy and be cool too, isn't it? I mean, the cool kids, at least when I grew up. Sorry, Billy, I just stepped on some toes. <laughs> I didn't mean to, mm. but you know what I mean. Mm. A lot of your friends growing up weren't as church involved as they are now myself included Mm -hmm. a lot of peer pressure and in the sports that's all you want to do as a kid when did you start using if you did yeah i think i think i started using when i was 16 okay And, and i will say i mean i'll just be blunt about it you know most christian school kids that that from my experience is going to christian school were more rebellious um, I think it was uh, it was a lot easier to be rebellious. Uh, growing up, it was always forced. It was that you're going to do A, B, and C, you know. And what I've realized now that I'm grown and older that that doesn't do anything really but push push away. Not saying that's for everybody, but a lot of a majority of the Christian school friends, even to this day, that I'm still friends with, that uh, I went to Christian school with, we were all went down that a lifestyle of addiction. Everybody went a different way, but um, a lot of that, when it's forced, when the hand is forced, it causes a pushback in that area. So I think I was one of those children that had a pushback because it was just shoved, 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 rather than maybe experiential. And granted, the the parents mean well. They want their they want sure. their children to grow up around it, love Jesus. It's it's not a, in, like an intention of you know you need to. It's more of hey, I love you. This is what I know what's best for you, but it, it still causes that drawback and kind of pushback to it. I don't know if that makes any sense. You so. know, it's interesting to me because I've never met an addict, and I'm a recovering one who liked people telling them what to do. And mm-hmm. I think where yeah. that starts is we really don't want God telling us what to yeah. do. Yeah. <clears throat> but I do know, Bill, growing up, that <laughs> looks like he's getting mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting mad. <laughs> that, that growing up... Um, 
you need to hear it. But a lot of times, from what I'm told from other people, uh, I always got that God was loving and kind. If it's a bunch of rules and a bunch of don'ts, and don't do this and don't do that, I, I see it now as an adult as a lot of do's, an opportunity, mm-hmm. a yeah. freedom from bondage. Most definitely. But I could see where that could be spun the other way and, and spin people out. But most of your friends didn't get booted yeah. from two, did they? I think all of us. I think, really? <laughs> I think there was about... I'm I mean, surprised we yeah, haven't yeah. met. <laughs> I mean, you also got to understand, you know, this is a Christian school perspective. So you think of a Christian school versus a public school, right? When you, when you compare the two, public school, probably their standard of getting kicked out is probably higher than a Christian school standard. When I totally. look back, when I look back at the the reason why I got kicked out, I was a goofball. I, I just, you know, I didn't, I would skip class, but, but it was just dumb things, you know, like we would, we'd, we'd make a plan, for example, to meet out on bathroom break in class and go shut off random uh, class lights. And it became a big thing. So just something of like, just a total goof off, never paying attention. And um, I think that when when I look at my other friends, that when we all got booted, um, it was all I, I was I was known as like the ringleader. I knew everything, but I never talked. Okay, <laughs> so so I was always the one where Jason, I we know you know, and I'd be like, no, I don't. But I always did. So slowly but surely, I was the last of about five or six to get booted. Did you guys have like team jackets booted out of two? No, <laughs> no, no. Handshake. Not quite. Handshake, yeah. 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 So your first drug, marijuana? Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, drink. I, did, I drank first, but then it led to marijuana. I never was a big, big drinker. Um, how... I mean, how it started for me was is when I played ball, right? I played ball my my whole from ninth, tenth, eleventh grade. But I also dated and had this high school sweetheart all throughout those years. Um, and then something drastic happened where she where it ended, and she ended up being with somebody else who was one of my good friends. And all the while, while I was playing sports. Um, I had friends who were using, I wasn't using yet, um, because I would even call them just different drug names and dope heads and all these things. I'd call them all these names and all while I was playing sports, but eventually that damage, um, that had happened, um, after that breakup happened, that is when I drifted toward what my friends were doing. And eventually I got kicked off the basketball team and, um, just started as you said earlier, coming coming into that peer pressure and just doing what they were doing pretty much. So, Did the drug use and hanging out with those guys, did that change for you, your sports? Oh, did yeah. Did the priority change? Did you for have sure. different friends? Yes, I would say that um, some, of, some of the friends that were on my team um, used as well, maybe not as drastic. I think that I had the mentality of, you know, I, I'm going, I went all out in sports. I dedicated so much time to it. I'm going to go all out in this area of, of use, and I'm going to show everybody how heavy I can do it. And so um, I think I had a mixture of, of both. You know, I, there were some friends who came along eventually, but then there were some who I did lose and that I drifted toward a new group of friends as well. How long before you started doing harder drugs and the frequency increased? I would say, I would say maybe a year, maybe even less, maybe even less. I I, I said, I think that, um, I think that once the pain of a breakup, and now obviously I can look back, you know, I mean, and I, and I knew this way back as well, but to cover up that pain, you know, of of being rejected or that pain of abandonment and knowing that um, 
that's what I was feeling in order to cover up that pain. So I would say maybe a year, maybe maybe even less than that. It, it was pretty quick um, because it, I think the weed was the was the addiction, but then it also opened a door to harder drugs, experimenting, and and just being open to really anything I could get my hands on at that point. So how long until you think you were addicted psychologically? That we've gone from being an athlete mm-hmm. and we're the cool kind of ringleader, fun mm-hmm. guy, mm-hmm. to where any time I can use, I'm going to do it. Yeah. How long? You know, I I would say 18. By the time I was 18, and um finished finished high school graduated from that public school and and I didn't even get to walk or graduate actually I ended up grad getting my high school diploma but by the skin of my teeth I I barely made it um but by the time I was 18 it was it was I had to Okay, but you let's know. give credit here. He didn't get booted out of the public Didn't school. get booted, no. <laughs> didn't my get my story is very similar. So let me get, we got to hold on to that. Yes, Were you right. a two-time boot, George? Just one. Just a one-time mm. boot. And I'm, I feel outdone I got here. one I feel up on you. Yeah, yeah, you did. So, yeah, yeah Jason's ahead. Yeah. It's not a good day for me here in the studio because <laughs> no. I've been outplayed. But isn't it shocking to look back at how quickly... You know, you're growing up, you want to be an athlete, that's what you do when you can, and in a year and a half, I'm a party guy. Yeah, yeah. And you grow up, you lose your childhood there, don't you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely, it's it's not quite like my daughter's innocence being taken away, but it's those teenage years of innocence. when when you get when you when you transfer that that lifestyle of hey I'm playing ball you know just being the normal guy thinking about college and all these things and and you switch over to that side it's 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 like light going into darkness you know it's a total it's no longer me who's involved it's no longer me who's in control but but this is in control so it's almost a spin on if any man be in drugs he's a new creation yeah and yeah, for sure and uh, we we need. Christ to change us back to a new creation. Yeah. And my guess that took a while. <clears throat> Do you graduated from high school mm-hmm. by the skin of your teeth? By the skin of my teeth. What happened after that? Oh, man. I think, uh, well, what happened after that is is, is normally um, uh, what happened after that. Let's see. Well, it was just a whirlwind. Well, I first got arrested at 17 um, for, you know, just some friends and I, I think if I remember right, we were shooting out windows with a BB gun and some big sub- suburb. And um, so that was the first time. And then once I graduated, it became a lot of drunkenness and just stupidity, just being dumb, being drunk and dumb. And alcohol was never even a thing for me. My mindset was always, I'm going to, alcohol is going to help me prepare myself for the hard drug so my heart doesn't explode. That, that was always my mindset. Um, so uh, after that, from about 18 to 20, was an in and out of jail constantly, never going to court, um, always had warrants for my arrest all the time. And um, by the time I was 19, I had a DWI. That was the one that really kept me under wraps with the law. I never, two years probation, failing, um, failing different uh, drug tests and doing outpatient and never, it just turned into this big spiel of in and out of jail for about three, four years. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. All right. I think it's time for our first break. We're going to take a little step aside. We're talking to Jason. Uh, fascinating story, George. I can't it's wait to great. get back to it. It's yeah, great. If I, if I would skip the break, I, I would, but I can't. Right. That's what we're doing. Real recovery. Bill and George, be right back.
Welcome back to Real Recovery. Bill and George, Jason, our special guest, is here and with us in studio. Great story. So we're going to uh, continue uh, learning more about the path that Jason was on and what happened next. It sounds like um, a little in and out of jail last time uh, we were right before we went to break. And that's not a good pattern. That doesn't always end well, no, does it? No, 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 it doesn't. I don't see anything coming good out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, George... Well, that's an interesting intro, Billy, and and I think part of that, the way we can look at that, is things are starting to go downhill, but I always look at the Department of Corrections as the greatest evangelical tool mm-hmm. in America. That's God's hand in there, Bill, I think, don't you? Oh, definitely. And it's mm-hmm. starting. But what kind of drugs were you doing? You go from mar- alcohol, marijuana, mm-hmm. you went from basketball to partying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got DWI, yeah. but what kind of drugs yep. were you doing? Yep, um, I think the the next biggest drug was cocaine. Cocaine was the the next thing I was introduced to. I was also doing ecstasy, and um, so that was a big party drug. But cocaine was the next level up from that point to where um, where we went after it, where it was something that we it was a normal routine within our uh, weed smoking use. The next step was always okay. Let's get some cocaine from that point. Um, okay, so if I'm doing coke, how do I pay for my coke? Well, you know, I had I had a different ways of, of getting money. I was always known as, as the one in our friends group um, as, you know, I was somebody that could really be good at hustling. I was really good at speaking. I was really good at, uh, you know, speaking to different um, drug dealers or trying to get fronts or otherwise. On the other side of it, I was also a mooch. I never kept a job. And I had a couple friends that would keep jobs, and they fed my addiction. I was pretty spoiled in that area, but I was also really good at talking my way into getting what I what I wanted. Um, there, so were you selling some coke? No, no, I never, I never got into it. And it was really funny you even mentioned that. Is that even when um, while using it in that lifestyle, we had friends who did it, and I would attempt it. But I was too much of an addict. <laughs> I just I couldn't keep my hands off of it. It was it was hey let's try it, but it never panned out because I would I would either snort all of it or I would smoke all of it. Um, but I had a lot of close friends who did it, which also provided me that open door to be able to work my talking magic and let me get it. Yeah. Doing coke for me. I'm a recovering cocaine addict alcoholic it was satan taking over my body and my life Mm. my soul died when i did coke but when i first got high on it it was greater than anything i'd ever Mm. experienced very quickly it takes over your life did you did you notice that that all of a sudden and we i could never save any cocaine yeah so i hear what you're saying how did that downward spiral real spiral really take you know, speed yeah. and, and, and go ahead. You know, it's, it's really interesting, George, that you even say that about cocaine. Mine was actually the, the, you know, kind of the opposite. Like it was with cocaine, it was, it was cool, but, but I didn't, I didn't like the, the after effects. I didn't like my nose being just messed up. It really irritated me. Um, as that spiraled down, you know, I would do it. It was just something I would do. Like, hey, yeah, I'm definitely going to do it, you know. But that's when I was introduced to crack cocaine. And that's when everything changed uh, from that point. That's when everything became just a, a mess. Um, crack cocaine to me was similar to how you put cocaine for you. Crack cocaine is, is was literally a demonic 
possession. You, you, I was a completely different person. I mean, you talk about priorities changing. You talk about your outlook. You talk about, you know, the, these areas with maybe while I was using, while I was smoking weed or drinking, you know, I could, or doing even a party drug, I could be around people, you know, and be high as a kite and no one would know it. I, I could, I was really good at masking it. But when it came to crack cocaine, um, that I didn't show my face. I didn't at a young age when I first started that it was like I had this certain group of people. Um, it put me in situations and in places and in areas that I would never even think it made you do. I did insane things that I would never, ever do. Um, you, you'd dream of it, you'd think of it, and if you didn't have it, you'd spend at least the next two, three hours planning on how and figuring out how you were going to get it. It was, it was definitely, you know how police say, a controlled substance. We have a controlled substance. Well, before I tried that and all the other drugs I did, I didn't really think of them as a controlled substance. It was something that, that I would lie to myself. Hey, I enjoy doing this. I love it, bro. It's, it's awesome. But once crack came, that was when I was like, man, this is what they mean by a controlled substance. So you're gone? Gone, yep. How, yeah. uh, how did that unravel? Um, well, that's when uh, over time the, uh, there was a, uh, two people that I was really close with that introduced me to it. And what's really funny is I actually tried crack uh, maybe a year or two prior, uh, but it didn't do anything, didn't do anything to me. But this time what actually happened is a friend of mine ended up going to prison um, and he, we found a stash of it in, in um, a friend of mine's trunk and we tried it for the first time that night. And it was amazing. Well, even after that, we didn't, I didn't use it again for maybe a year. I just moved on. Um, but then a good friend of mine um, and I, I got hooked on it again. And where that took me was um, there was a lot of my, my parents had kicked me out. He, even before this, even in high school, uh, my, my, my mother had kicked me out. My father had kicked me out. A lot of couch surfing, um, okay. sleeping outside, homeless, some homelessness as well. And, um, but with, with, crack with crack it, it made me it, I was invisible you didn't hear from me for months you know at a time um, I was actually living in a crack house for uh, a num number of different times in different places um, and all around you I mean you, you, you'll see you can see p parents with their children you know with diapers hanging half off their butts and but no one thinking one thing about it um, prostitute all these different things around you th that world of um, trap houses and um, drug dealing and street life and those things. It's a very soulless mm. lifestyle. I mean, it's it's very dark. It's death. Yes, yeah, yes, for sure. That's the perfect way I would put it. You're you're pretty much a corpse. Yeah. How did you get out of it? Um, well, what 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 is really funny is that um, uh, I think I was so. When, when I was on, I went to outpatient treatment for a while. Where'd you go? So I went to Twin Town, or for outpatient, I can't remember where it was. It was so long ago. I was 20. I'm 36 now. I was 20, maybe 19 or 20, but it was in Brooklyn Park. Brooklyn Park somewhere, I'm sorry. Now, that's in Minnesota for our listeners, and it's a good was a good treatment yeah. center. I don't know if it's still around. Anymore. Yeah, I have I have no idea where uh, where exactly it is. Um, but then from that point, failing the outpatient uh, drug tests all the time. They gave me an option. You know, either you know you do ninety days, you know, or you go to inpatient. I did inpatient, um, and I did that for twenty eight days, and I got out and I was doing really well. 
but it really over time it really just taught me how to be a functioning addict um so how long did you stay sober do you remember three months i stayed three months after i got out and when yes. i was even in i encountered god in, in an, a beautiful a miraculous way my life was changed and um, even this older guy in there really took me under his wing, kind of like a discipleship toward, sort of thing. But when I got out, um, I didn't have that. I didn't have a community. I didn't have people around me. So it was very, I'd go to the people that I did know, you know, um, that were still using. And I bring, would bring my Bible and say, man, bro, you got to read this, man. Look what God's <laughs> done to me. Da, 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 da. And they're like, man, that's great. You know, it's really cool. <laughs> but, you know, so it was very easy to gradually go back um, to what I knew. And, and that's when it started with drinking. Ah, I can drink. You know, I'll take a drink. It's no big deal. I don't have an alcohol problem. You have a drug problem. You yeah. can drink. Yeah, right. You know, so, but but deep down, I knew where it was going to go from that point. So. It, it's very interesting. Bill and I were talking this week. And on the three-month thing, there's a guy on our um, network, on the Faith Radio Network, Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, who I heard I always had three-month relapses, and a couple of years ago, I heard I was listening to your show, Bill, and he's on after you in the afternoon. <clears throat> three months is all willpower. That's why people can go three mm. months. I never knew that. Mm, that's interesting. You need God to get more than that, mm. and I, I found that to be true. Mm. Uh, it's very interesting how this happens. Your old friends, I'm not one of these counselors that's going to say they're not your friends, but when you're around them, you want to use eventually. That happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. My friends are dying. Mm. Uh, I'm 65. I've been sober a long time. Bill knows some of them. Guys that I didn't think had much of the problem. You know, if you're if you're an addict, you're an alcoholic. The people you're hanging around are a good chance they are too, right? Yeah, yes. And you see that. But you're getting sober. Mm. They see that. Yeah. And some of them want it. It's interesting, Bill, how God allows somebody to stay connected with them but not use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you caved, you went back. Yep. Because you really stopped using, but you hadn't built a recovery. Fair. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I think what I think what was really key even back then was realizing how important. Now I realize how important community is is having community within your recovery. Um, Instead of community with your drug friends. Yeah, right. I mean, you exactly. got community. Yeah, you yeah. just got to get the right one. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I, I, what what ended up happening was is I ended up getting a job. Uh, long story short, I I worked in the car industry for almost 15 years and um but within that within doing that um I learned my mindset was I'm going to show everybody how I can be an addict and still work you know and still provide for myself and I did you know I I, I remember my first year I had gotten rented a townhome and got a motorcycle and I had a car and I remember throwing a party when I first moved there it was just this like I told you so I told all of you that you can be an addict and still do well um, and even within that though I knew that deep down as I'm sure maybe you've experienced is is I was still empty I, I knew there was totally. something missing yeah. Totally. And you got to try 24 7. You're on emergency red alert. Yeah. But you got to try. Yeah. Uh, were you selling cars? Yeah. Yeah. No. So I worked on cars for a living. Um, so we did, you know, the brakes, the standard mechanic stuff, oil changes, alignments, tires. I did that for um, a long time. I never got deep into it because the reality of it was is I couldn't stand it. And, and so people would say, then why have you been here for so long? And it was it was that, you know, I, I 
I had a job I needed to provide, you know, for my family. And it was a mindset of, you know, um, I'm just going to flourish. I had a mindset of I'm working really hard. And within that, I flourished within the company. I had a great boss and made really good money. And um, I just had... I, I grew in it, and that this was my first job where I realized that God has shown me um, the work ethic that I am capable of, and when I work hard, um, what I can achieve and what I can obtain. So this was the first. This was the only job really is from. Well, I had I had jobs when I was a teenager, but from I started this job when I was twenty one. So I had this until just recently. You know, it's interesting. Our recovery can start while we're still using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because God's at work. How did that fall apart? Yeah, uh, which 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 fall but apart? Where you you know you got the job, everything's good, and mm-hmm. but you're using. How yeah. did the using fall apart on you? How did you get sober? Well, it's it's interesting. So um, when I when I was sober, so I was married for a little bit, and and I went through a divorce about four year almost four years ago. Um, God's really redeemed it, and and we both get along great, and and take care of our children, and um, but when I first did it. I remember we were living at our, back then my mother-in-law's house and uh, I I was at the bar and I'd come back from the bar and even her at the time didn't know that I had gotten crack and I went to the bathroom downstairs and I'm just cra- packing this crack pipe. Now leading up to this I was crying every time I was using um, my dealers and friends would say, bro, you just, I would talk about God. I would even, I'd say, man, I just can't wait to get out of this life. And, you know, I'm just going to be done. And over, they would even encourage me. They got so sick of it. And um, to the point where they were really supportive. And I remember I was downstairs sitting on the toilet and, and I packed that pipe and I just said, God, you got to do something. And I encountered God in a way that I can't really explain. And I was on my face for two and a half hours and I, I never used again. Um, wow. Yeah. That, that is how I got sober. Yeah. So I didn't see it was that. A miracle. I didn't either. It was definitely a miracle. Mm. Yeah. That's a pause in radio, George. Well, it, it <laughs> is. So when I say I think the recovery process starts for a lot of people when they're still using, you don't stay sober if you're using. Yeah. Don't come, but God allows things to happen that you look back in the rearview mirror and go, you know, if that hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't. Like the intervention of law enforcement. Yeah. For you, what do you think that was? Somebody finding out that you were doing it, that you were ashamed and you're just not going to do it? Or what well, What's really interesting, if you were to talk to, like, my mother or somebody that, you know, were really close, and if you were to talk to people that were close to me, I was always open about my addiction. I didn't, I didn't um, hide it. The crack um, eventually over time became something I just admitted. You know, I got tired of, of hiding. And um, uh, I think that exposing it, the start of admitting it, I, I came out of the mindset of watch. I'll I'll t- I'll show you to you know what I'm just gonna start telling people I'm sick and tired of it. That exposure of and and shining the light on my sin and and the different things that I had problems with really had really br- brought that to a, the beginning of this is gonna come to an end. But then there's this also you know there's this verse in the Bible where where it says His goodness will bring you to repentance. And that was something that happened to me where um, I saw the times I should have went to prison or been dead, you know, or all these situations I put my life in. But that over time, all I could think about was Jesus. All I could think about 
was the goodness of God. And while I was moving into this lifestyle, my mindset was like, God, please, I don't think, I think the last few years of my addiction, there wasn't a moment where every time I u- I was using, I was crying out to God while I was using. And um, at that, that's where, now it doesn't mean that I didn't have to go through the steps of community and, and going through staying sober and building that network, because I definitely did. But the craving, it was a miracle. It was, it was a, just the next day, I just never used again. Yeah. Powerful story, Jason. I, we're going to take a little break. We'll come back with yeah. more. We're going to learn what God's doing in his life now and what uh, George always says, that God gives us a job to do when we get out of our addiction. And we're excited to hear what's going on in Jason's life. We'll be right back. You're listening to Real Recovery. Bill and George. Welcome back to Real Recovery, Bill and George. Great story tonight, George. Jason started off uh, getting kicked out of a couple of schools, got using, uh, was a goofball, then became uh, addicted to all kinds of drugs, and then all of a sudden it was crack cocaine, and then it was more trouble, and he's uh, he's been sober now for 10 years, and it's a powerful story of transformation, and every time we hear these stories, we're always curious as to what God as for you now and how you are staying sober every day. George gets up every morning and prays for the desire to be sober. Mm-hmm. And the power to stay sober before we get out of bed. And my bed, Bob, my dog, I'm yeah. going to emphasize it's a dog, gets up. He knows where <laughs> he knows we're getting up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm interested if we could go back a little bit. This mm-hmm. happened. Boom. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're clean. Walk us out from how God took you from there. To work, what you're doing now. Yeah. I, I always love this, sure. Bill. Um, well, man, it's it's amazing. So when my my so within me working, I had I've had the same boss um, for almost 12 years. He's a, he's he's him and I still a very close man in my life, and and has always been there for my family. And um, he saw the drastic change. Um, I went to work, and I was telling everybody about it, and you know everybody couldn't believe it you know, because I was the loud mouth, you know, I was a really good leader at work and getting people to do their certain things and kind of like a shop lead in a way. And, um, but, but what happened was, is it turned to a place of me really preaching the gospel. I just would tell people about Jesus. And there was even a couple times with a, a guy I know where God performed a miracle on him. And, um, so it, God broke out. And then after, after some years doing that, uh, my old boss retired took over another shop and that gave me a, um, a, uh, what do you call it? A a offer to come work for him. I came to work for him. Um, I was there for about three and a half, uh, four years up until recently, but God broke out there and, um, changed a lot of people's lives. There's a couple people I disciple there still to this day. And it's God really showed me that my workplace can be ministry. Even before this, I was, I was, it's called a domestic missionary for a little bit that I I also did that for a little while, but I stopped doing that after I went through what I went through with my children's mother. So stop doing all that. But God really taught me how to walk it out 
not needing a pulpit or not needing ministry. And, um, and so seeing God break out and I think it really affected people to see that, man, this is, this guy I knew was just this big mouth mm-hmm. dopehead. Now he's just, this guy who won't shut up about <laughs> Jesus. So, um, yeah. So how did your new community, yeah. uh, how did you get into a new community? So, so it's interesting. When I first was saved um, and came into sobriety, I, I had this. I, I went to Bible college for a little bit, um, but but every time, even to this day, you know, ten years sober, ten years walking with the Lord. When I talk about salvation and the lost and the church, you know, um, I get really emotional over over the body of Christ. And so, uh, a guy who's still to this day a mentor in my life, you know, he had said, "Hey, man, I don't see a lot of people." act the way that, that you act when it comes to souls. I'm going to plug you into a community. And um, he plugged me into these different outreaches um, and the community of sharing the gospel, different ministries. And that's pretty much where it started uh, was a guy who kind of mentored me and saw that in me and saw the the, the evangelistic um, desire to share Jesus. And, and he plugged me in a community and that's how my community grew from there. So you spent a lot of time in the word? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. And with other believers and mm-hmm. growing and sharing. Yep. Yes. 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 Uh, and do I do? I also do um, a lot of outreach, outreach as well, um, and sharing the gospel. Uh, that's what what I do now in my sit in my city where I live now. We do um, a couple outreaches a week. Um, I get back to like where I grew up is a really rough area, so now I do an outreach once a week over there where we give out Bibles, tracts, we share the gospel, um, we give out water. In the wintertime, we do coffee and hot chocolate. And um, so so that's what God is doing. And I used to always say, I'll never go back there. And God directed me and, and brought me back to my community. So He's got a job for you, Bill. He doesn't just get you sober, so you're sober. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting to hear. Um, did you ever fear going back into the old neighborhood there would be some triggers in your head? No, or? so not the, not triggers at this point. No, not triggers at all. More of, more of man, am I going to see old people I ripped off? Mm. You know, am I going to see different, different kind people? of trigger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And uh, there was actually an instant when, when, we, when we had started this outreach that we did. We started it at the height of when everything was happening with George Floyd and COVID. And we started it in the midst of that. And, um, where we went, I actually saw an old uh, dealer that I knew, and um, I went right up to him. I said, hey, what's up, man? He said, oh, my good, looked at me and couldn't believe it was me. And, you know, and we just hugged each other, and he said, I'm happy for you, you know. So it just even seeing that, it was like, oh, no. But it turned out to be this, wow, look at you, you know, and I'm so happy for you. And you're finally doing what you've been ruining our high for all those years. You're finally walking <laughs> it out. So, yeah, yeah, it's been great. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That's just neat. I uh, just thinking about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and tell us what you're doing now. So now, it, um, so now I'm a chaplain at Teen Challenge. Um, I, I when when I applied for that position, when I applied for it, I did not think I was going to get it. I I just saw it up, and I go, you know what? I'm going to send in my ministerial resume and, and just see what happens. And I always wanted to get out of the automotive industry, and everybody knew, man, he he doesn't like it at all. You know, so I, I kind of used it as as a, a ministry thing, as I was saying earlier. Um, but when I applied for it, I just said, God, you know what? If if you do it, awesome. If you don't, it is what it is. You didn't think you were going to get the job. No, not That's at how all. George felt when yeah. he applied for role recovery. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't 
So, uh, you know, some time That's went true. by. <laughs> and what was even funny is that some time went by and I go, man, I, I don't think I'm going to get this, you know. So I, I emailed uh, one of the guys and I emailed him and he said, oh, sorry, it's taking so long. Got back to me. I had the in-person interview. Now, I remember when I went to the interview, I, I, I had um, my uh, shop clothes on and I said, well, I got to bring some extra clothes. And I and I emailed. I said, forgive me for my outfit. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to look a little rough. And I came in with just, you know, um, jeans and a long sleeve shirt and um, interview went well. And, and I left. Then he he goes, well, we'll be in con- we'll be in contact. And I said, dang, man, that didn't sound so enthusiastic, <laughs> like, man, you know. And so then time went by and then he reached out again and he said, hey, would you like to do a teaching audition? And I said, I would love to. And even after that, when I left, um, he just brought me to my door, brought me to the door and said, we'll call you. I'm like, dang yeah. it. I was hoping to get a different reaction. Yeah. And, um, but then long story short, he called my references. And um, one of the one of the references ended up being uh, really good. And he ended up calling me and telling me, hey, and it sounded like he wasn't going to give me the job. And he actually said, the job is yours. So, yeah. yeah. Great story, yeah. Jason. Thank you so Thank much you. for uh, sharing it with us and coming on the program today. And we're all very encouraged by what God's done in your life. It's really been great to hear. Thank you so much. Yeah. Georgie, that wraps up another award-winning episode of Row Recovery. Thanks. It was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.